Well, hey, everybody. It's good to see you all tonight. I hope you all have had a, a good good week. My name is Jonathan. I'm the campus minister here with RUF. I think I know everyone here. Everyone's been here before. Um, yeah, I hope you've had a good week. Uh, I know I've been leaning hard into the hope of spring break. <laughs> so one more week, and then we get a little break off. That'll be nice. Just a show of hands, who's planning on being out of Las Cruces, not in town over spring break? Gone. Okay, that makes it easy. All right. Um, just trying to gauge interest if we do something, but it looks like a lot of people are going to be gone. So second and Saturday, we're going to be doing the blessing bag filling uh, thing. It's going to be a great chance to try and bless those who in our community are uh, in need, experiencing homelessness. So we'll have pizza. If anything, just come get pizza at my house. Um, and if anybody who comes and helps, we'll just divide up the blessing bags evenly. And so you'll get, I don't know, whoever many people show up. Everyone will get a number of bags that you can keep in your car and give to people and Walmart or Loman on Loman, something like that. So thanks to Michaela for coming up with that idea. So, yeah. And thanks to everyone who's given so far. We're going to be able to have a lot of stuff. So thank you all for your generosity. It's really great. Is there anything that we're like missing and we don't have enough? Rachel? Uh, we have a lot of pads and tampons, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> we need the other things. Yeah. So tonight we are continuing our study, our work, just blitzing through the minor prophets, which are these not often studied books of the Old Testament uh, that are. I've been I've been encouraged as I've been studying them. Uh, I you know even as a pastor sometimes don't spend as much time in them as I should. So working through them for myself personally has been good. I hope it's been good for you. And tonight we are studying the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk, it's an amazing book. It's full of amazing truth, comfort. And actually in God's providence, his good plan, it is amazingly appropriate for what's been happening on the news uh, in the Ukraine and in Russia around our world. Last night I was, uh, my little girl was sick with a stomach bug again, and so I was holding her while she was throwing up, and I was on Twitter watching the... The, the tweets, the dreams about Russia invading the Ukraine, and I just felt my anxiety just like just ratcheting up, feeling very, very anxious. Um, I mean, it's a serious situation. There's no doubt about it. This is a serious, serious situation. And I found myself in a very anxious space, but I was also thinking about this book. And so I was to meditating on trying to meditate on two things meditating on twitter and meditating on habakkuk while holding a sick little girl and it was a very existential moment but one of the major contentions of ruf is that maybe the major contention is that the bible still speaks to our lives i know many students today in college say i just this thing this book feels so back then how can it apply to my life uh, and that we think, we trust, we know that the Bible still applies. And tonight, I hope we will see that the Bible speaks so well to what it feels like to be a human in late February in 2022 when war is happening and it's scary. And not just that, but it also tells us even in our own turmoil, personally, it tells us that God is in control of global politics and that even when his plan is a total mystery, we don't understand it, we can trust him. So we're going to look at that in three ways tonight. 
God is in control of global politics. Even when his plan is a mystery, we can trust him. Three things. Habakkuk's complaint and our complaint. Second, God's answer. And three, how do we, re- how do, how do we respond? So first, Habakkuk's complaint and ours. Then God's answer. And how do we respond? So uh, I'm going to read the texts as we go along today because we've got a good bit of text. So we're going to read a section and then I'll comment on it and then we'll move on to the next section. But as I'm up here, ooh, I forgot my phone, but I can grab it afterwards. Shoot me a text. My phone number is on your piece of paper and I will dialogue with those. It can be on the more geopolitical side or it can be on the personal side or it can be on the I don't think I'm persuaded of this Bible thing. Kind of all is up for grabs. Shoot me those questions. And so um, I'm going to read the first few verses of this and we will dive in. So this is Habakkuk's book. Uh, First four verses says this, the oracle of Habakkuk the prophet saw, that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you oddly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Let me pray real quick and then we'll dive in. Lord, as we study your word tonight, we pray that it would be greater than the sum of its parts. For the parts are meager. We're reading old words, a few students in a small place. But when you are with us, it is great true words with your saints and your spirit equipping us to know and love and serve you and know and love and serve each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so first thing to see here is Habakkuk's complaint and our complaint. All right, so Habakkuk is a different kind of style of book than what we've been looking at. Previously, the books that we've been looking at are prophets coming to the people of Israel in the midst of their brokenness and saying, here is God's indictment, here is God's judgment against you. Habakkuk is structured more like a conversation, a prayer conversation between this man, Habakkuk, and... uh, I thought my phone was calling me, but, but this man Habakkuk and God—it's a—it's a conversation prayer, and uh, and so in the in the book, it's a short book. Habakkuk two times comes to God and he complains. Twice he comes. We're only going to look at one of the complaints tonight for sake of time, but he comes to God and complains, and then God answers him twice. God comes and answers his complaints twice, and then at the very end, chapter three is a prayer response that Habakkuk prays back to God. And so what we're actually reading is that this book is a very personal encounter of self, emotions, anxiety before and in the presence of God. And we're actually reading a conversation between a confused and an anxious follower of God and God's response. And so that is a very sacred space of this person writing down his anxious, confused questions, complaining to God and God's answers. And I find that many times in my year, many definitely last night, maybe I know talking to you, not just about geopolitics, but in your own life, that's a place you find yourself. A moment of anxious, fearful complaining, talking to God, talking to me about what is going on in my life. And so this is, uh, this is where we land. Most of Habakkuk's confusion and anxiety surround really big issues, very similar to if there was a Russian invading Ukraine on their level, that's what's happening there. And in ju- big issues like injustice in society, violence in geopolitics, questions about God's goodness or God's power, 
on a big scale, but also on a very personal scale. Questions like, why do bad, things, why do bad people do bad things and then seem to get off scot-free? Why does that happen, God? Or does God care about injustice? Or if he does, why does he not do anything? Why, is it, why do I look in my world and say, God, are you, are you doing anything about this? And I know these are questions I ask myself, and I know they're questions you ask because you ask them to me <laughs> when we hang out, when we get coffee. And so Habakkuk speaks to this so well. Look at what we just read in, verse, uh, in, in these first four verses. O Lord, how long I cry, how shall I cry for help and you not hear? Or cry to you violence and you not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. I mean, I, I feel like that's so real for the experience of most people that I don't even need to explain it, but I will. I'll try. Looking at what's going on in, in Habakkuk's world, Habakkuk is experiencing a time, a season of pretty acute geopolitical turbulence. <laughs> this speaks so well to our moment. Uh, and, and again, the scales of international power are shifting. The last few weeks in our minor prophet studies, we've been studying the nation of Assyria and how God interacts with the nation of Assyria. But here, the, uh, when Habakkuk writes, it's several hundred years later. And so now the Babylonian Empire, or the Chaldean Empire, as it's often called, is on the rise. And they're beginning to be movers and shakers in the international political scene. And they're starting to make military raids, military attacks with hundreds of thousands of soldiers into different parts of the world. And so the Chaldean Empire is on the rise. And so it's a time of uncertainty, a time of fear, of war, of great anxiety. And again, when this nation does this, when this happens, it brings a great existential threat to the people of Israel because this powerful nation is once again knocking at their door, which can, might, will it wipe them off the face of the planet. Like, God, we might be gone as a people again. And so Habakkuk prays this to God. He says, God, where are you? <laughs> what is going on? What is going on in this world that we're looking at? What, are you just going to let this evil be unpunished? Are you just going to let bad people do... He, he says, it feels like you're not doing anything. It feels like you're not listening. Do you hear when there's violence happening? You can look at some of the pictures of what's happening in the Ukraine right now. I saw pictures that I was weeping today as a dad, watching a dad ship his small daughter and his wife off to Western Ukraine, knowing that he has to stay and fight, and he might die. Like that, I was just like, golly, where is God in that moment? Where is God in that moment? And so for our moments, it's very easy to make the switch of Habakkuk's world to our world. As Russia invades Ukraine, it suddenly feels like the hottest moment in polit geopolitics since the Cold War, the last 30 years. And so I remember last night at 1 a.m. I was on Twitter with my daughter feeling, praying the exact same things that Habakkuk prays 3,500 years ago. God, where are you? Do you care? Are you doing anything? And it's fair, I think it's also fair to zoom in not just on the geopolitics, even on Ukraine, which feels so scary, but even to zoom this in even more to our own lives. Because the reality is that most of us, most of us, have experienced at least one time in our lives 
at least once, maybe several times, a moment of profound and perverted injustice. At least one moment of perverted justice or traumatic violence. And if it hasn't happened, it's definitely happened in your friend's life. The statistics of New Mexico State say that the the majority of the people in this room and definitely the majority of the people in this campus have had something dreadful happen to them. Especially if you're a woman, the chances are better that it happened than it didn't happen. And and, and then not even that, but all of us can think of at least one moment where violence, where wickedness, where death, where destruction won. And we look at this event in our life and we say, where was God? Where the heck was God in that moment? And we ask ourselves, God, how long do I have to cry out for help and you do nothing? I know I feel that way. I know you feel that way. I can see it on your faces right now. And so there's two thoughts on this. Two thoughts on this. First, Habakkuk, just that this is written down, it shows us that it is normal and even good to ask these deep, hard questions of God. It is a sign of a healthy spirituality, a robust spirituality to bring these hard questions to God. Because Habakkuk is scripture, because it means it is inspired by God and written, it's without errors, that means that the Holy Spirit here verbalizes and validates our questions. That that these words are written down, it verbalizes our questions and it validates our questions. And many times I know it feels like there's something wrong with me when I ask big questions and I think, oh, I should just have more faith. The sign of healthy spirituality would not be to ask these questions. No, the sign of healthy spirituality is to ask, my God, Jesus, the most spiritually healthy person said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These questions are a sign of a deep and intimate relationship with the living God. And so this book shows us that we are allowed to ask, God, where were you last night when Ukraine was being blown to pieces? Or to ask, God, where were you when this happened in my life? These are legitimate, honest, and sometimes very godly questions in the life of a Christian. Questions about God's justice, questions about God's power, questions about God's action or inaction. That's the first thing. Second thing, I read a book a few weeks ago, and I cannot, I tried to find the line of this book today, but I was very distracted. But the line from the book was something like this. It stood out to me. And the line was this, most of the time we have no idea what God is doing. And I read that line, it just like punched me in the gut. (laughs) Because here I am, a pastor, trying to explain faith to humans. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, most of the time we have no idea what God is doing. There are, our world is too hazy, too confusing. We are too limited, too weak, too sinful, too foolish. And a huge part, the majority of... I'm not going to try and fool you and say that most of your life is mountaintop experiences. A large piece of your life following Jesus is saying, most of the time, I don't know what God is doing. And most of the Christian life is coming to terms with that and being okay with that and learning to try and figure out how in community to trust God in that. Most of the time, I don't know what God is doing in your life, in my life, in our world. Now, (laughs) that's hard. Where in the world does Habakkuk, where in the world does the Christian message, the Bible, bring any kind of clarity, hope, meaning to that. And so Habakkuk brings this complaint before God and God does not leave him with nothing. God speaks into it and we look at God's answer. 
And so let's look at that. First, we're going to look at verses 5 through 11, and then we'll look at chapter 2, 1 through, uh, sorry, 2 through 4. So this is the Lord answering Habakkuk after his complaint. Look among the nations and see, this is God speaking, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreadful and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press on proudly. Their horsemen come from afar. They are like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So what's here going on here? See, here in this moment is uh, Habakkuk, God begins to answer Habakkuk. And his, the first thing he starts to say is he says, yes, there are wicked men in this world and they do wicked things, but I'm in charge of them. I, as mighty as they are, and God goes into great depth describing as how mighty they are, the very beginning God says, but I'm in control of them. I raise them up. So first, God, God reassures Habakkuk that he is, even in, he is in total control. Verses 5 and 6. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days. Verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. God is saying, even when all these geopolitical forces are at work, even when they look so unstoppable, you know who's behind it all? I am. Now, that leads us to one of two places. Either God is a, a cruel megalomaniac or, or not. We'll get to that in a part. But the point to see here is that God is in control. God is the one who is, is behind all of these move, movements and motions. And so the army, the nation that is the grave threat to peace, to justice, to stability, God says, I raise them up for my divine purposes. Verses 7 through 8, it shows how strong they are. He goes into great detail and says they are a violent, destructive, and powerful force. They can do destructive things. The Chaldean army is strong as leopards, fierce as eagle, and militarily unstoppable. And yet God is emphatic and says, I'm more powerful than they are. And later on, we don't have time to look at this, but I encourage you to look at chapter 2 later tonight. God says, and I will destroy them too. I raise them up and I bring them down. And he pronounces five woes, five pronouncements of judgment on the Chaldeans. And he says, I raise them up and I will lower them. I will humble them. I will destroy this arrogant nation. And so what is going on here? God is saying that he is in control. And for, that, for us, that means that the hard and real truth that we can believe here is that God is behind international turmoil. And he is behind the internal anxiety that we feel. God is in control of everything. God is in control. And some of you think, well, that sounds terrible. But what's the alternative? Him not being in control? That's worse. That's a worse fate. That means that we are on our own. That means that there is a maniac in the Kremlin who's doing his own thing. And we are pretty much powerless to stop him. 
No, he says God is in control and he is doing a work in our midst that you would not believe if I told that he has plans and purposes that are beyond our comprehension and that he is in control of it. God is in control, and this is a major theme in the whole Bible. God is in control of every moment of all of our lives, from geopolitical upheaval to the wicked traumatic thing that happens in your and your friend's life. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow, and I will admit it. That's hard. Stick with me, and we'll look at that in just a minute again. But there's more that's going on here. First, God says, I'm in control. But then the second thing we see is that God calls us then, God calls Habakkuk then, to wait for the vision. Wait for the vision. Look at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Habakkuk speaking again says, I will take my stand at the watchpost and station myself at the tower and and look out to see what he, that is God, will say to me and what 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 I will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me, write the vision, write it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous will live by faith. Now, what in the world is happening here? Hang on with me. This is amazing what is happening here. So, the right of vision here. God comes, verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 2, Habakkuk says, fine, I'm going to stand, I'm going to wait. I've I've made my complaint, I'm going to wait to see what God says. Verse 2, God says, let me tell you, God answered me. The Lord answered me and says, write a vision, write a vision. Now, that word vision in Hebrew, that word is a very important word, a very important word in uh, the Corpus, the body of Old Testament prophetic literature. And that word vision means basically a prophetic vision that brings clarity. It's an image or something that God gives that brings explanation, that makes things make sense. So imagine that you're trying to climb one of the mountains. Let's say you're trying to climb the Oregon Needle and you don't know the way. And so you get into the mountains and you're just like, crap, I have no idea where I am. And you're floundering around in the mountains and you're down in a ravine and there's cactuses everywhere and there's no water. And suddenly someone comes around the hill and says, oh, hey, I got an extra map. Do you want one? And you go, oh, yes, I do. And he gives you this map and it's a topographical map. And not only that, it, it somehow you, you know where you are on the map and you know where you're going, you know where you need to be. And all of a sudden, everything clicks into place and you go, oh, I understand now. I know where I am and I know where I need to be. How would you feel? You would feel a profound sense of, well, I, this has actually happened to me in real life, not in the organs, but you feel peace, relief, and contentment. You're like, oh, thank God. I can see the forest for the trees. I have, I have my bearings. And that's what the word vision here, it means that head above the cloud moment of clarity, of I see what's happening around me. And so here God, he's saying, write a vision. The vision awaits, it's coming. God is saying, I am going to provide an explanation and an interpretation for all of the questions that you have. That clarity is coming, clarity is coming and wait for the right time to see it. It may seem slow, but wait for it. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And so here, God tells Habakkuk to be patient, to trust, to wait. 
for the clarity that he's looking for. And then we get to verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous will live by faith. That his soul, the the his here, is, is taking the whole nation of the Chaldeans, the Babylons, and personifying it in one person and says, they're this way. They are arrogant. They want nothing to do with me. There's nothing upright with him. But in contrast to him are the righteous, those whom are gods, those whom God loves. Those are his righteous ones, his lovely children. They will live by faith. And that phrase, the righteous will live by faith, is very important in the whole Bible, but is especially important in Habakkuk. And it means this. It means that those whom God loves, those who are God's people, who are righteous, the mode of their lives is to trust in God's vision. The righteous will live, they will exist, they will endure by faith, by trust, by by relaxing and relinquishing into the good control and plan of the living God. The righteous will live by faith means that existentially waiting of God's people we must endure while asking big questions and they anticipate the final vision, the clarity that they desperately seek. So in Habakkuk, the righteous live by faith means that we trust in God's character, in his power, in his promise, even in the face of violence and evil, that we look at dead in the face and we say, you are wicked and you are evil and I don't understand why you happen, but I will trust in the living God. Remember how I said that most of the Christian life, we have no idea what God is doing. That's because we are too, we are all waiting the vision when God will finally explain his mysterious plan and vindicate his own And so we too, we righteous in Christ, we wait by faith. We live by faith, which means like Habakkuk, we have to wait, we have to trust that at every point God is in control, even when all of the evidence is to the contrary, that God is in control and working for good. Most of the Christian life, we have no idea what God is doing, except one time. There was one time where God tells us exactly what he was doing. It was one time where there was the vision came true, where we get that head popping up above the clouds and we say, oh, I see what God is doing. And that moment is Jesus Christ, friends. That moment where Jesus, who is God and man, who is totally in control, dies. It's a vision. It's a moment of theological and historical and geopolitical and existential and emotional clarity. When Jesus hung on the cross and at that moment we see God in total control, proving that he was all good. It's at that moment that evil was totally destroyed, when oppression and and violence were completely destroyed by violence. It's on the cross that we get the clarity that God is all good. Jesus, the God-man, freely choosing death so that we could live. That God is all-powerful. Jesus, the God-man who would rise from the dead even though death could not keep him down. That Jesus, the God-man, had a plan. That Jesus was the capstone of God's whole plan to redeem us from the oppression of the wicked. There's one moment where we knew exactly what's going on. And that's when Jesus lived, died, and came back to life. And if that proves that God is powerful and good, then we, the righteous, can live by faith in the midst of deep, hard questions. And that means it's possible for us to go our whole lives not understanding what God is doing. Our whole lives. There are Christians who have gone their whole lives saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you were good then and I trust that you will be good in the future. 
Now, how does this all apply to our lives? It's when this starts to change, to sink in, it can have a life-changing effect. Verses 17 through 19 of chapter 3. Habakkuk sits in this for a while. And then he prays and he says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes me my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And this is important. To the choir master with stringed instruments. So Habakkuk starts his book off with asking massive questions about God. What are you doing? And God answers and says, trust me, the righteous will live by faith. And Habakkuk sits in that for a long time. And he gets him, he comes to this place of simple trust, of simple prayer. That the absolute worst things may happen in our world. I will trust in God. I will rejoice in the Lord. If we were to put this in our words today, <laughs> though World War III should start tonight, Though my whole life devolve into shambles, though evil and death hound me all my life, I will rejoice in God because Jesus is alive. I will take joy in God who is my salvation because Jesus Christ is my life. Look at the last words of Habakkuk. This is not a throwaway. To the choir master with stringed instruments. What is going on here? You guys remember the last episode of, of season three of Stranger Things? You guys remember that's been a minute. Stranger Things is this show. It's, uh, it's, it's about um, these kids who are caught up fighting the Russians again. And uh, there's this, de- this demonic mind flayer monster that's trying to kill these children. And so there's the Russians who are trying to take over America. I was like, oh, man. And I was thinking about this today. And there's this demonic mind flayer that's trying to rip the, you know, rip the shreds of reality apart. And so the, at the very end, it's the high point of the climax, right, if you've seen the episode. The high point of the climax. The Russians are about to kill everyone. It's pure tension, pure battle. You know, reality hangs in the midst. And everything hinges on this one character, Dustin, getting a special code that will unlock a vault that can start everything. And so he has to call his girlfriend and get the, the code to open up the vault, right? And his girlfriend, she doesn't know that there's this whole battle for humanity and reality on the line. And she says, hey, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, if I'm going to give you the code, we have to sing our special song. And he's like, no, just give me the code. And she's like, I'm going to hang up. And so he's fine. And so they, 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 you know, there's this wonder, you know, I know you've seen it because you're laughing at it. There's this moment in the show where like their mind flayer is getting ready to destroy them. Russians are closing in. It's destruction all around. And they break into this hilarious version of never ending story. And it's so funny. We're just left laughing because the, like, the irony of the tension and the comedy is so funny. But it's one of the, I just remember crying my eyes out the first time I saw it because it's one of the most powerful things of singing in the midst of the end of the world. Like the world is being torn apart politically, spiritually. The demonic mind flayer and the Russians are destroying the world and they're singing. They're singing. 
And all the characters are stuck on the radio just listening while they're singing this silly song. And we in the audience, we laugh, but there is a simple and powerful truth about singing in the presence of destruction. (laughs) What better way to say, I trust the living God, than to sing in the presence of evil. We laugh at that, but it's true. Singing, worship, these are countercultural, heart-shaping, community-forming habits which fortify and steal our hearts and our communities in the face of overwhelming grief and anxiety, internationally and personally. That when wicked things happen in your life and in our world, we say, no, I'm going to sing in the face of evil. I'm going to sing in the presence of my doubts. And look at that. That's what Habakkuk says. At the very end, he says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though everything falls apart, I will sing to the God of my salvation. So sing in the face of fear of questions unknown. This week, don't just do that in RUF. Find times in your anxiety. Find times in your depression. Let music, let worship songs, hymns, praise be the way that guide your heart to trust God in these questions, in the face of evil. We're going to sing tonight my favorite RUF song, Psalm 130. It's the best. Reflect on these words, reflect on this, and sing. Wait for the vision, know that God is faithful, and the righteous will live by faith. Let me pray. Father in heaven, Thanks for this word. It's a lot going on here. I pray that you would indeed fortify our hearts to know, trust, to know that you're good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's see here. All right. What can we do when sitting and praying isn't enough to keep us in, at peace knowing wh- what's happening to the people in the Ukraine? Golly. Singing. <laughs> uh, complaining to God. Um, telling God, God, I, this is infuriating. Where are you? I mean, yeah. God can handle your frustration. He's handled it before in Habakkuk. So, Say, God, this is this is this is outrageous. Um, I'll I'll put a link in this. I've got a. There's actually an RUF in Lviv, Ukraine. If you want more to do, um, he's a good friend of mine. He's staying in the country, uh, and so uh, he he's told us it's going to get real. But he says if you want to support them, you can help him financially. They're expecting. He's about 30 miles from the Polish border, but he's expect so he's far west. But he's expecting an onslaught of refugees from the east. Uh, he says it's already started. The artillery shells are happening. Um, but he's a t- his church is preparing to receive a bunch of refugees. So he says if we want, we can support financially. Uh, they bought a bunch of generators and food and all that stuff. So I'll put that stuff in our group me if you want. So that's something you can do. Um, <clears throat> I think getting together as a community and praying, there's something in that. I find that often when I'm by myself, I just evolve to looking at Twitter and not praying, and it's not good for me. So... Get together as a community. I mean, what would it look like if we did an RUF prayer meeting this week about Ukraine? I don't know. That'd be sweet. Um, 
limit your time on social media. We know it's bad. We don't need, we need 50-50 of like God's goodness and the badness. So I've spent way too much time on Twitter today watching the Ukraine, and I'm a highly anxious person around it. So just be wise about your social media use. Um, and I mean, yeah, trust that God is at work. There's two alternatives, guys. Either he's not or he is. If he's not, we're screwed. We're screwed beyond screwed. And if he is, then that means that there is... He's done it before. He's done... He's taken worse situations and brought good out of them. So we have to trust. That's our only choice, is to trust that he will do something in this. Um... What can, should I do with what is happening in the world? It is so far geographically, I feel detached from it all, like, like my caring is going to do no good, but it is not something to ignore. I mean, pray. Uh, I, had, I had many pastors today who exhorted me to say, reading Twitter feeds is one thing, praying is another. Like, we trust, we believe that God listens. Habakkuk tells us that God listens when we pray. Christ have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. That is what we can do. And it's, I mean, God listens to us when we pray. Jesus tells us that our Heavenly Father is not some person up in the sky who says, oh, he's not some bad father that when we ask for a fish, he gives us a snake. No, he listens. He is at work. He is faithful. So prayer is a huge thing. And I'll share my friend Kirk's information. But um, yeah, I mean, I, that's... I don't know. I'm still figuring this out myself, guys. I'm in the, I'm in the trenches as much as you are. Um, talk to each other about it. Yeah, same same question somebody's asking. This is what the church is for, to encourage our ch- each other. We're, I need you guys to encourage me and say, God is at work. And I need you to tell me, because I've been sad and discouraged this day. God is at work. It's going to be okay. Jesus is on his throne. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes other believers can encourage you should encourage you. So, Let me pray. Father in heaven, um, we have to trust that you are at work in our own lives, in the tragedies and traumas of our own lives, and in the tragedy and traumas of, the, of our world. Um, the alternative is worse, but it is hard. I admit that today I have had many of my own doubts, many of my own questions. Um,